You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Last thing that you Googled. Sean McVay? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, in the uh, backyard of Sean McVay for the first time uh, in a couple years. I think yes. I was here right when you moved to town. You were. I can, it's uh, a lot has changed since then, but still good to see you. Uh, good to see you too, my friend. This is uh, this is a weird time. You know, yeah, you've is. probably done about what five hours worth of Zoom calls a day, and it's it's waned a little bit. I think the last couple of weeks. This is generally the downtime. Yeah. For you guys, what, what have you been doing the last couple of weeks? Really just hanging out. You know, the nice thing is, is even though this Corona and all the things that have been going on, Dan, we've been able to travel. My parents were in town, so we went to Laguna. We went over to Santa Barbara. So it's uh, it's good to be about an hour from some of the places it that is, people love to vacation, <laughs> no matter where you're at in the country. But this isn't a bad setup. If there's anywhere you're going to quarantine, I think we picked the right place. No, I would. And see, you know, nice, uh, nice view here in, in the backyard. We are about a week away from when rookies are supposed to be supposed to be supposed to be thing. reporting what 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 are you thinking what where do you see this heading I'll tell you the weirdest thing and I've talked to a lot of our people about it Dan is usually when you get about a week out and right now that's exactly where we're at start to get revved up get excited just like I know you feel when you know you're getting ready to kick off you know training camp in the preseason and there's something about this time that uh, you know the amount of things that have to take place for that to logistically get off and get going. My Something about it tells me maybe there's a chance that things get moved back. And that's what's weird because you want to make sure, hey, if we're going, we're ready to roll, we're locked in. So what I've been telling our people is, hey, we're going to have a great plan. Whether we get a chance to execute that plan now or a little bit later remains to be seen. But uh, I am confident we'll have a season, we'll be able to play football, whether or not it goes exactly on the schedule that, that we've all seen, that's something that uh, I'm a little skeptical of right now. The preseason's already been cut down from four games to two games, players don't want any games. As a coach, what's the right number of preseason games for you? Yeah, well, I mean, as somebody that we haven't really played anybody each of the last couple years, I think what's something to be mindful of is just the fact that uh, we don't get a chance to practice against other teams either. Like that was one of the things I always felt good about is that we could practice against the Chargers or the Raiders last year and that could really create an atmosphere where you're limited in uh, some of the opportunities for players to get injured but you're still able to get high level of competition. But I do think it's necessary. I think you know you need to play football before and I think for just the the level of play to be where it's at I, th I think it is good to have some of those games you don't play your starters anyway in those games I know but I think the reason that I would feel differently is if you said like we were originally scheduled to practice against the Saints and the Chargers right well now with some of the restrictions that they put on it we're not able to do that so it's just going to be Rams on Rams and I do think there's an element of getting to evaluate your guys against another opponent what I've always liked so much about the practice against the other teams is because it's not you know, TV copies, all that stuff, and, and the all 22 film, you can actually activate some newer plays or some things that you've toyed with that you want to run in the regular season that maybe you would hold in the preseason. So 
I think once we see what it actually looks like, I'll be able to have a better gauge, but I know it's not going to be, the preseason isn't a bad thing. It's just whether or not you feel like it fits for your team. How is hard knocks going to affect your, oh, gosh, uh, your training? Get started on that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, whether I'm just worried about getting training camp off, let alone having to figure out how we accommodate all that. I mean, stuff. this whole circus is going to be documented with cameras nonstop. I, we, so they say. Yeah. It's, I, I, I can promise you, I'll probably be a pain in there. You know, it'll be interesting. I, I really like uh, that's the least of my concerns right now. I want to be able to try to get it off, but. I'm glad you brought up hard knocks. That makes me feel so good. You, you, you got, give me a surprise star, right? Besides like Goff or Aaron Donald or Jalen Ramsey, yeah. there's always some undrafted rookie or somebody we've never heard of. Or he sings the fight song or you know, some, there's something every single year. There's yeah. a breakout star. Give me a breakout star from the Rams and Hard yeah, Knocks. Yeah, so I think, uh, I think in terms of the charisma, this is a guy that's he's been a starter, but he's kind of gone under the radar. I think he's really ready for the next step is John Johnson. Safety from Boston College. He's got a great personality. I think he's ready to assert himself in a real leadership role on the back end. He and Jalen. Um, and then offensively, uh, really excited about the way that Tyler Higby finished the season. I also think Gerald Everett is a, a guy that's a rising star in this league. And we're excited about these young backs, man. Daryl Henderson is a guy that when he got his opportunities, he showed some flashes of excitement coming out of Memphis. And Cam Akers is a stud. So got some young guys we're excited about. Cam Akers has a quarterback background, right? He Was does. he a quarterback in high school? You should have seen some. I mean, they had some plays. He made a couple of trick plays where he's catching a swing pass to his left and he's throwing bombs and just dropping dimes down the field. I said, these are throws quarterbacks can't make. I said, we might have to put in a wildcat package for you, man. He said, coach, <laughs> I'm ready. How do you, you go from Gurley who had all that success to dealing with his issues last year and now you have this young stable. Yeah. Do you need the bell cow guy like Gurley was or are you going to be able to divvy this up with two or three? I think it'll naturally just work itself out. I think you've seen, you know, you look at the success San Fran had last year with that running back by committee approach and what I thought Kyle and really their players did a great job of is, hey, we're going to have an open mind approach. We're going to try to be committed to having some balance. And then we'll go with the hot hand or whoever really expresses themselves as deserving of the carries. And we feel good. I mean, we've got three guys really on our roster that have played football. When you look at Daryl Henderson, John Kelly's another guy. Malcolm Brown has consistently produced really in that number two role behind Todd. And then Cam Akers is a guy that we're excited about. So we've got four backs that we feel like are all NFL legitimate, uh, real you know, starting caliber backs. And um, not feeling like you got to force carries or touches to any of them. Just open mind and, and see how these guys do. It's not very often a head coach loses all three coordinators in, in one offseason. Yeah. Um, has that been a bigger challenge because you're not able to have OTAs and be there in person and see all these guys on a daily basis yeah, at the a, facility? It's a good question, Dan. What you wish is that you got a chance to get out on the grass with those guys, feel their ability to interact with the players, make real-time adjustments. But I would say that this stillness, being a little bit more present, has enabled us to spend more time meeting, even if it is on a Zoom platform, having dialogue that otherwise wouldn't allow you to, to be able to do. So 
feel really good about Kevin O'Connell, somebody that I had known. Brandon Staley, I think, is going to do an excellent job leading our defense. Was really impressed with just his command and his ability to communicate with our players. And then John Bonamago's got a great track record. So we've got time in training camp. That'll never be an excuse for us. So Kevin, Kevin you never worked with in Washington because no. he got there after you left. Did you just know him from these quarterback yeah, academies? You and know, things? that's exactly how I met him. Actually, when I was with the Rams or when I was with the Redskins or the Washington football team, um, I came out here and over at Westlake High School, there was a QB collective. He and I were both coaching in it. I had known about him. It was when he was with the Browns and we hit it off. We had kept in touch. And then it just so happened that when I came to LA, he ended up coming into Washington. Obviously, I, I have a lot of respect for Jay's opinion of guys and, and he loved Kevin and Kevin did a great job. And then when we got a chance to spend some time together this off season, it really kind of worked itself out where he was available, and, and I think we got a great coach in our building now. I, I'm assuming you have not listened to any episodes of the Helipod, so I'll just break it down for you how okay. we normally do this with, I love it. with players is we have a heavy emphasis on the rookie year. Yeah. And I know you did this with Breer a couple of weeks ago on his MMQB podcast talking about your career, but that's generally what we like to do. And yeah. I met you... I don't know, probably almost 10 years ago, right when you got to Washington. I can remember the first time we met was the Pittsburgh game. Cooley had introduced me to you, and I had obviously known about, uh, you know, how well-respected you were in, in that market, and then we've kept in touch, and it's been fun watching you do your thing ever since, man. Well, you get there, and you are the, the quality control coach. But oh, yeah. this is only after you started your coaching career with John Gruden in Tampa, and I think he talked about this last year. On, on Hard Knocks. He said that he started out kind of like you did. He was, yeah. he was the piss boy, called he called the it. the piss boy. And he, you, you <laughs> That's did. That's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> he sure pissed on me. <laughs> what, what did you do breaking in? Because I remember you, you, you talked about how you went to the Combine in Indy and yep. you had a meeting with John and then you were hired shortly thereafter to be, was it the assistant to the it's quality control like coach? basically like the assistant to the quality control coach. I mean, there's not even a job on our staff that is low enough to even register on the coaching <laughs> staff. So it was it was really just get your foot in the door, get in the building. I was, in essence, a, a secretary that could double as, as you're able to learn a little bit more, then maybe you can do some of the true grunt work with, uh, you know, what's necessary to make the coach's job as easy as possible. But I didn't know anything. I mean, I, I'm picking up dry cleaning. I'm running errands. I'm making sure that guys have their snacks ready. I mean, anything that you can imagine and just trying to make, make yourself useful. Did you try to get there as early as he did? I did one time, and it was not a good idea because I think I pissed him off that I got there that early. Um, and I said, uh, I think I need a little bit more sleep. Uh, but I, uh, I've always been a little bit of an early riser. Now, 3.30, you know, John's, John's able to operate earlier than most. So Does he still do that? I think he probably does. I would imagine, you know, I, I, I know he kept the same rhythm and routine when he was doing Monday night football and doing the Gruden QB camps. I mean, cause I would still go out there. Cause that was some of the times that I spent with him in those settings were where I really learned a lot of what I know, Dan. And so in the off seasons, especially when I was still in Washington, I'd go visit him in Tampa and he had this magnificent, uh, basically office building where he would do all his prep work for Monday night football. And he had this unbelievable into inventory of film and I'd go out there and we'd get started at you know he'd say come on out at five in the morning 4 30 in the morning and you know he was still rolling and it was it's impressive and I'm, I would imagine he's still doing the same thing so he started that whole operation when he got fired in yeah. Tampa the, the fired football coaches association FFCA, yeah, you that's see right that? and you 
You said that that's where you learned a lot of your high-level football stuff was yeah. during that time after he got fired, you lost your job. Yep. And you guys spent what, several months just meeting every day? It was unbelievable, Dan. It really, like, what I would say is because when I came into Tampa, it was when they were already midway through OTAs, so much information, like when you just look at a normal teaching progression, I came in midway through the installation of the offense, and I didn't know anything as it was, so I was really just fighting to keep my head above water the only year I was in Tampa. I never really knew and understood what was going on to the level that is necessary as a coach, but what that time did, it really taught me, if you said, what was the most beneficial learning experience in your entire coaching career, that taught me the foundation of everything that I know about this game. Because the lens that he was able to help me see it through, where it's like, hey, if you're the running back coach, you don't want to just worry about coaching the running backs. You want to see it through the all 22 lens and understand you know, how each position is communicated with, what are their roles and responsibilities, and then how you can use that knowledge to attack defenses or to defend offenses, vice versa. And even just your presentation, like I can remember my first day, we go over, we were doing it at the St. Pete Times Forum. I don't know what it's called now, but it's where the Tampa Bay Lightning sure. play. And I literally lived in the building right across the water. Like I could see it. It was like 300 yards across the street. I lived in a nice condo that fortunately my dad was helping me pay for <laughs> since I was making about 15 grand at the time. And so I would walk across over there. We'd get going early. And I remember the first day, he says, get up there and draw me, you know, a two-back run versus an over defense where you're running the power play. And I get up there and, you know, you realize how green you are. But even just my circles, he said, you got the shittiest circles I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> so I went and bought a whiteboard, pasted it up in my, uh, my condo. And yeah, I practiced drawing some circles. Those circles, now I got some <laughs> shitty circles again. You know, I've worked on You've my You've regressed. Pen. I've regressed, but I had some magnificent, consistent circles, nice squares, the presentation, but something like that. But then he brought a bunch of other coaches in, and just really you're honing your skills of, hey, as a coach, you are a presenter, you're a teacher. And what he would do, which, I mean, it was like getting your doctorate, you know, in football from John Gruden, one of the best offensive, one of the best minds in football. Then he's bringing in other people. And he really used that time to teach me and Jay Gruden, his brother, uh, you know, an opportunity to learn how to present and run an offense. And it was the foundation of what I know. I mean, everything that I learned there, I mean, I still have notebooks from the amount of stuff that I learned and the exposure that I got. And, and that was so beneficial. And like, I'm forever indebted to him for that. I loved it. So it's funny, a lot of people forget this too. You started under Gruden and Kyle yeah. actually started there as well, I That's believe. Right. How much does he pull from Gruden? You think a lot too? Well, I think the best, a lot, because and a lot of this goes back to, you know, when you just look at the history of the game, you know, and a lot of this was from his dad as well, but the foundation of, you know, everybody talks about the West Coast offense, stuff like that. In a lot of ways, what that refers to is, the verbiage and how you call formations, how you identify defense, how you call your motions, what are some of the core concepts that you use in your three-step, your five-step, your seven-step drop-back games, your play actions and your keepers and how you want to run the ball. What was so great about working for John is he studied so many different offenses that you get exposure to so many different kinds of things. And so what was great about it that I think was really instrumental, Dan, when I interviewed with Mike and Kyle with the Redskins, was basically we were able to speak the same language because a lot of the verbiage that Coach Shanahan had used going back to Denver, that John had used going back to Tampa, that Kyle was familiar with from Houston and from his time, 
whether it was growing up around his dad or being in Tampa as the QC, was all really stemmed from a lot of the stuff Bill Walsh had done. Right. And that even goes back to Coach Brown in Cincinnati, where a lot of the foundational verbiage is very similar, so you're able to seamlessly communicate. You know, like my fiance Veronica, talks about when she hears me talk football with some of our coaches, it sounds like you're speaking another language. And so we were able to speak the same language pretty quickly, and I think that helped a lot. So that, that year, as, as Gruden's piss boy in Tampa, <laughs> you have to have a guy like that now, right? Don't you have to have a... Uh, I don't know. I don't know that I have anybody <laughs> like that. I think I got pissed on pretty good. We don't need that job. No, it, he, was, he was really good to me. It, it was more of, hey, your willingness to do whatever right. anybody asks. And we've got a bunch of guys that I think it's important that you make sure that everybody has value. And I certainly felt valued and appreciated. Like... When, you, when, when I was talking and just reflecting on some of those times, even back to Tampa, I can remember it always stood out to me how Greg Olson treated me, who's now the coordinator for the Raiders, sure. but he was the quarterback coach at the time. Here I am, this 21-year-old kid, don't know anything. You know, you think you know what the heck's going on uh, as a young coach, and you finish playing at Miami of Ohio, and, you know, you come in there, and he was a great guy that really took me under his wing, and, and I never forgot that, and it really epitomizes that, Hey, make everybody feel appreciated, treat them right, but there is a willingness and, and, and you want to bring people in the building that are hungry to just grind and do whatever it takes to contribute to make uh, everybody's job easier. It, it, it's funny to think like this, but you're not that far removed from that time in your career. That was no. only, what, a decade ago, 12 years it ago? It was, and I think that's been helpful. Like, the one thing that's been good is I don't feel like you skip steps. I feel like I was able to accelerate through some steps because of being exposed to great people that put their arm around me and, and helped me grow and helped me learn. And then some of the unseen hours and obviously the family connections. But I do think that that trajectory and not being so far removed helps really create an understanding and an empathy for when you're in those roles, just being a little bit more considerate to, you know, sometimes these guys are staying up all night or how can we be considerate to get things done in an efficient manner as coaches when so much of some of these uh, auxiliary roles or quality control roles are relying on you've got to do your work for them to then be able to do their work. And that's definitely, uh, I'm sure a couple of our guys that work with me are saying, yeah, I wish he would do that. I try to do that as best as I can, but it's definitely, it's been helpful, I think, Dan. Nobody ever wants to leave the building before the head coach leaves the building. Do you yeah. ever do you ever go around, I've heard some coaches say this, especially the older ones, Billick used to say, All right, you, you have to go home to, to be home for dinner with yeah. your family tonight. Do you, do you do that sometimes? What I, what I try to do is I try to make sure that there's clarity in whatever their roles and responsibilities are, and this isn't about, you know, clocking in and clocking out. You know, we're not looking at that. I, I believe that uh, we want to meet, but when we're meeting, we're intentful about meeting. And then otherwise, you're getting your work done. And if you're working, you know, you're not just working to work. And, and I'm a big believer in that. And so uh, I'm a, I, I'll get in early, but I'm out early too. Like if I'm getting my work done, I, I've started to really, I've always known how important sleep was, but I've never really valued the, you know, the benefits of you're less irritable, you're more enjoyable around the players, you think clearer all those things and, and really just trying to apply a disciplined approach to get more rest. So I think what we try to create is an atmosphere and environment where there's clarity and there's an understanding like, hey, 
you know, we prioritize family. And if that's what you want to do, you get your work done and you get home. This right. isn't about uh, who can stay at the office the longest. That's that's the antithesis of what we want to really represent. How many hours of sleep do you get a night during the season? And it depends on how many coffees I've had. <laughs> uh, so usually what I try to do, Dan, is I know that I'm going to get anywhere when you start going from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then even Thursday night, anywhere between four to six hours. But then on Friday and Saturday, I try to make sure that I'm getting at least eight hours of sleep. And then Sunday is the same thing. And usually a couple beers help me uh, sleep a little bit better because whether we win or lose, I'm having a couple drinks, man. I need it. Have to. I need to, I need to have a, a little bit of a, of a relaxation. And they're a lot more tasty when we win. Amen to that. <laughs> Amen to that. You, you That rookie year with Gruden, uh, you learn as, as much as you ever have in your career, right, in, in addition to the, the Fired Football Coaches Association yeah. year. Then you work with Jay in the UFL, uh, and then you go to the Skins. You're hired as a as a quality control guy, um, and then quickly you are elevated. But you kind of took the bull by your horns by the horns on, on your own because I believe it was John Embry, right, who was the yeah, tight ends coach. He was. And did he take off during training camp to go to the Colorado job? Is that when he left? So what happened was our first season. He ended up getting hired with about four games left in the regular season. Okay. So, so it was kind of right in that cycle. And you know how important college recruiting is. And, Absolutely. And, you know, he was a great player at Colorado. So he had interviewed. And Coach Shanahan, it was – what I'll tell you what was really cool is to watch the way Coach Shanahan handled that. And that's definitely affected the way that I've tried to help our guys get better opportunities if that's what they desire. And watching him handle John and really try to promote John in terms of doing whatever he can to put in a good word with Colorado because, hey, we lost a great coach. So he gets this head job at, at Colorado. There's four games left. He said, why don't you go get started, get your staff hired, get your recruiting stuff. And that opened up the opportunity for the tight ends job was in essence vacant. And I'm, I was the assistant receivers coach. I was really the quality control coach, but your job on the field was you were assisting the wide receivers. And so knowing that they were going to let John go, I said, hey, coach, I'd love the opportunity to coach the tight ends. I'm going to get after this Chris Cooley guy a little bit, man. <laughs> and so uh, he said, well, go ahead and do that. So I looked at it as that last month is, in essence, what better opportunity to compete for a job than to have a month-long interview where you show, hey, I know I'm 24 years old or 23 at the time, but I, can, can, I, I feel like, hey, the guys that I've been around, I'm ready to try to run a room and make sure that you're learning and you're humble enough to do that. But I think we can help get these guys better. And uh, I know that I wore Cooley out, but he made me a lot better too. And Fred Davis, we had we had some fun. Logan Paulson, and and so that uh, that ended up going pretty well, and, and it ended up leading into full time tight ends coach the next year. So, you spend several years in Washington, tight ends coach. You're, you stay there, and you've you've talked about this a lot. Just the steps in your career, and I don't want to use the word lucky, but how fortunate you have yeah. been. Not many people or on a staff that gets fired and then get elevated to the offensive coordinator. Yeah. And that was because of your relationship with Gray, with Jay and how well he knew you and how familiar he was with you. Familiarity with coaches is really interesting to it me is. because it's so important in this profession. Uh, what was it about that relationship that allowed you to, to flourish so yeah. well during your Washington You years? say lucky. I, I think lucky is the right word, honestly, Dan, because like when you think about it, right, like this is what was so strange to me is – there's nobody else that was going to be a head coach that would have 
given me an opportunity to be an OC, like which is the right way to look at it. I mean, that's just the truth. Jay's the only guy that there's 32 head coaches. What other guy would you even be in consideration to compete for an offensive coordinator job? So, and then you just so happen to be on that current staff. And I was a part of a three and 13 team, you know, and that that's what was so weird for me, Dan, is that you realize what a small network of people it is. But when you look at it, I don't know if it's like the guilt or, but it was weird because some of your closest friends end up being uh, caught in the the wash of a tough season right. where they get let go. And then here you are every bit as a part of that as them and you end up getting promoted. And that was a weird deal because shoot, man, I wanted to be an OC. You're excited about that opportunity. But if you said, is this the ideal way that it goes down? And are there a lot of mixed emotions that occurred as a result of it? Absolutely. But I think the only way that it really occurred is we had worked together so well in the UFL. There was a level of trust established between the two of us where I think there's a lot of merit to when you are kind of, and I don't want to say growing because Jay had already been so successful in his own right when we met, but when Jay really transitioned from, he was such a star in the arena league as a coach, as a player, that he really made the full commitment in the UFL to say, all right, I am transitioning to where my career in coaching is exclusively focused on outdoor football. You know, I'm not right. going to be, I'm not really involved in the arena league anymore. And so our, you know, him immersing himself in the game coincided with me kind of learning the game. And so that trust and that foundation that was established at that time from the FFCA, from coaching the UFL, from us staying in such close touch when he went to the Bengals as an offensive coordinator and just the relationship that, that really continued to just grow over time, I think where he felt like, hey, I'm going to run the offense, but who knows my language, who can seamlessly do a lot of these auxiliary tasks for me and kind of set the table when I know I have to take over head coaching jobs or take over other roles that a head coaching position entails, I think that was what made the most sense for him. You, you've told the story many times about the interview process with, with the Rams, so I won't make you go hmm. through that all over again. But the, the first year, your, your other rookie year, kind of as a, as a head coach, yeah. what was the most challenging aspect of that for you? That's a good question. I, you know, it's almost, I, I think that last, this last year was the most challenging year as a head coach because it was the first year you really experienced any adversity that we had to navigate through. It's, I think the most challenging thing and I don't even want to say it was challenging, but I think the best thing that happened was the ability to say, I'm going to keep the main thing the main thing. I think what was really helpful, I got some great advice from my, grandfa my grandfather and a lot of people along the way, but it's like, all right, what are the main roles and responsibilities that you can focus on as a head coach? Hey, let's establish, let's do a great job of first and foremost hiring a great coaching staff guys that can really fill a lot of your blind spots and guys that in a lot of instances have more experience that even though I'm the head coach, I think one of the best pieces of advice I got, Dan, was don't feel like you have to have all the answers just because you're the head coach. And I think especially as a young guy, that served me well where you know, you trust your instincts and your intuition, but you're not afraid to ask other guys on the staff what's their perspective and how that can help lead to the collaboration that you really want. Had some good players in place. And then you focused on, hey, let's just get better one day at a time. Let's not worry about all the little things that you can get caught up on that don't really affect winning and losing. You know, it's like keep the main thing the main thing. You and I think so, that helped us. You had so much ancillary stuff going on around you as a head coach that you didn't have to deal with as a coordinator. And I, I always felt like, Watching from afar, I'm like, all right, Sean's doing a good job here. I remember watching your opening press conference. I yeah. think I texted you. Yeah, that was good. That was good. <laughs> but I just, you're, was there ever a point where you're like, 
God, I don't want to have to worry about all this other shit. Can I have somebody else do that? Because yeah. I just want to coach. I think what, what I would say is they've done a really good job, especially when, when I first got here, of protecting me from those things. And like this time has even, you know, where it's like, does this really matter? Is that I'm on a need to know basis and don't include me until I really need to know. Otherwise, let's have the trust and confidence in the people and give them some autonomy to do their job. And if I need to get involved and make some decisions, I'm more than happy to, but let's focus on football. Let's focus on our players, our coaches, making sure that we're doing a great job of building the right culture and, and building and establishing those relationships. And then putting in schemes and, and evaluating those schemes where we're giving our guys a competitive advantage week in and week out. And we had some good players. We had some pretty good players too now. Yeah, no, you had, you had some great players. Who's the, who's the toughest to, who's the toughest superstar player you've coached your whole career yeah. to maybe just connect with? Maybe one that you said, all right, I know he can be a little, not, not in a negative way, but just like every, you, you connect with different guys on a different level, sure. right? So who's been the hardest one to where it took you a little bit longer than you thought it would to get on his level? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. You know, I'd like to think that that's one of your uh, things that makes you a decent coach is you have the ability to connect with guys. I think it's, you know, I don't know that there's anybody that I can point out, but what I think you know as well as I do, Dan, it's like everybody kind of comes at their own pace. Sure. And you got to, I think it's really identifying what's important to these guys and then how can you connect with them on an authentic and genuine level that then opens up the avenues for things outside of football that then make football easier. Like, for example, so many of our guys, uh, you know, they're, they're great men. And, you know, you talk to them about their kids, they light up and listening to them talk about it. And so when you take a genuine interest in their family and understanding you know, their kids and, and what are they doing, where they're at in school, what are some of the things that have gone on, I think that authentically leads to other dialogue where I've always heard this, Coach Wooden said it, and I'm a, I'm a huge John Wooden fan, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think what that does is that establishes different avenues. And some guys it's been harder to find those connecting points but, but for the most part, man, I've been around good guys. Uh, I would say the most challenging guy was probably Cooley. You know, really? In, in terms of just you where were he so was early. testing you. Like, yeah. And he made me a lot better. And we both know Chris. He's one of the smartest guys. But he's, he's also, I mean, he's, he's looking to challenge you in the right way. And I never appreciated how much better he made me in my first year of coaching just by knowing like, hey, I better have some answers because Cooley's going to have some questions where he's trying to poke holes in whether it's the scheme or what the tight ends do. I mean, shoot, I can remember this antagonist. He told me that before I was the coach, he used to just to try to get meetings canceled. He'd unplug the uh, computer and stuff and knew that the coach wouldn't know how to get the computer back <laughs> running so he could get him an early exit out. So, but he, it is, uh, I think it's different with everybody. Well, we talk about that familiarity, and, and if you're just listening to this on iTunes or Spotify and you hear all this background noise, it's because we're, we're in McVeigh's backyard overlooking uh, the valley here in Encino and the Van right. Nuys Airport. That is. Not, that's, not very that's far Van away. Van Nuys right there. I think it's trash day, too. Trash day on, the, uh, on Thursday morning. That's exactly right. Yeah, you, got, you got all this on the, on the heli. Just no today. flinch, though. You just keep it rolling. Man. Yeah, no, you just keep going. We talked about that familiarity with the coaching staff. I, I think back to when I was talking to Matt LaFleur, and I hope he doesn't mind me telling this story. I don't think he will. Um, 
he just got to the Titans and I just asked him about, you know, what the biggest challenge for him was going to be. And he said it was the familiarity. It was that he didn't know Vrabel well before he got there. And this was just, he'd been there for a couple of weeks. And he goes, so I'm still working on that. I'm really looking forward to getting to know him a little better. And he goes, you know, I've been with Kyle and Sean for so long that we were almost like brothers. Yes. And I said, well, give me an example. He goes, oh, I'll give you one. First year in L.A., Sean's yelling at me on the field in front of players. And I said to him after, I pulled him in and said, listen, if this is the way it's going to go down, like you might as well just fire me right now. Like, you just can't yell at me in front of the guys. And you go, all right, fuck it. We'll just both quit then. <laughs> no, that, no, we were, I saw him last week. His family was in town and we were crying, laughing over that same story. My version's a little different than his. So, no, so I would, first of all, that's, that's, bullshit Matt. I wasn't getting on you in front of the players so we so we got so we are like brothers I mean he he was in essence like a big brother to me in Washington we've been so close I mean he's one of my best friends and so I love Matt and so I think there was such a close comfort that in a lot of ways you're taking on all these new roles and responsibilities really both of us when he's the OC I'm the head coach and so Matt always had the right way of, he always had the willingness to tell me things I needed to hear. Now, his timing wasn't always the best. So he'd come to me with the t- at the time, and I'd say, you know, Matt, get, get the hell out of here right now, you know. But, and then you'd kind of think about it. You'd be like, yeah, he's probably right. But we had an office argument because this was in his office. He says, you know, he's like, this is how it's going to be. You know, just fire me right now. I said, you know what? I'm just going to quit too. No, and and then, no, no, don't do that, man. And we both kind of worked. I mean, it was, and this was at the time when we were like rolling. We were getting ready to play like the Titans to win the division, to get our 11th win. And here we are both ready to to kill each other. And he's asking to be fired. I say, you know what, I'm not going to fire you. I'm just going to quit myself. It was, it was a good two minutes of us totally losing (laughs) our mind, but I didn't yell at him in front of the players. You tell him to come on this podcast and we'll straighten this damn story I, I, I out. I may have misremembered the story a little bit. It was oh, about no, two I'm sure years he told ago. you it that way. I'm uh, sure his version's different than mine. Time for a quick break to tell you about our presenting sponsor, Viore. Just the finest athleisure wear on the market. I absolutely am infatuated with this stuff. It's the middle of the summer. You need some good shorts. You need some great shirts to work out in. Shirts, shorts, sweatshirts, hoodies, board shorts for the pool or the beach, joggers for men and women, Viore has it all. That's V-U-O-R-I clothing.com slash helipod to get 20% off now. I love Viore. Go for the core short. has a built-in liner. It's all you need. The perfect amount of stretch. Not only do they look cool, they feel great. It's innovative. It keeps you active. And I'm telling you, you're going to look cool in it as well. VioriClothing.com, B-U-O-R-I, clothing.com slash helipod right now for 20% off on your first order. California cool. I promise you, you're going to love it. Check out Viori. You know what else you're going to love? Greens Plus. Back in 1989, Greens Plus created the first blended green superfood powder and was the first company to infuse green superfood into a bar. I've been using this stuff for more than a year and the products are the best tasting, most effective way to improve your immunity, detox your body, boost energy, and get the nutritional insurance that your body needs. 
organic and gluten-free, Greens Plus Premium Green Superfoods are what you have been missing. They're available at Whole Foods or on Amazon, or you can just go to greensplus.com and get 20% off on us. Use the promo code HELI. That's the promo code HELI at greensplus.com. Great protein bars, awesome superfood powder. I love the chocolate protein bars and the wild berry superfood powder. You just put it in your smoothie, it tastes great, and you're good to go. Give me your most LA moment since you've been here, because I'll give you another story that I heard, and I can't remember if you told me this or somebody else told me this, but you'd just been hired out here in LA. It's been around for probably three years now, but Catch was a really popular restaurant when you first got here. And again, I don't remember if you told me this or somebody else did, but you'd been here for like, like a, a second and you're like hey i want to can i get in to catch tonight can somebody get me some reservations and somebody really had to pull some strings to get you in there that first time no, i'm sure you know the mater d and everybody no now. so this so this this is great this was a good dose of humble pie for me right when we get here so we get to i'll tell you the first la moment that i had and then i'll give you the catch story because it's pretty good so when i came back for the second interview all right i'm sitting there with mr Cronky. Marshall Falk, Kevin Demoff, and basically mm-hmm. it's like, if you don't shit yourself, you'll get this in it. You'll, right. you, you got a chance to get the job. And so Fergie and Josh Dumel walk up to the table, say hello to Mr. Cronky and Marshall Falk, big fans of the Rams and stuff like that. And it was like two minutes within sitting down. So I'm like, this, this, is L- this seems like L.A. We're at Spago oh, and Beverly Hills. And so I'm like, that, that, this, welcome to L.A., you know, and and, and Bieber was staying at the same montage that we were at when we walked in the lobby. And, you know, so, but, uh, but the catch thing. So here I am thinking I'm a big shot, right? We get, uh, we get hired and, and I want to bring most of the staff to catch, which I've heard is the new cool LA spot, spot, you know? And so go up to the front, um, to, to one of the hostesses. And I said, uh, Hey, it's Sean McVay here, and I'm thinking, oh, hey, coach, glad to have you here, you know. And they said, oh, that's great, you know, uh, is, is, the, is your whole party here? And I said, uh, no, not yet, we're still waiting on a couple people. And they said, all right, well, get your ass and sit over there, and until your whole party gets, gets there, we're not sitting you down. I'm thinking, <laughs> okay, I'll get out of here. So, yeah, so that was it, but it's, uh, it is, L.A. is L.A., man. I mean, it's, it's a fun place. We like to get out, but, but uh, just when I thought I was somebody – I got shit on. Well, that, that's the great thing about L.A. is there's always somebody bigger. No yeah. matter what field you're in, you can be a hedge fund guy, you can be an NFL coach. And speaking of NFL coaches, you said that you've been talking to and leaning on Dick Vermeil a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he's advice. awesome. He's been great. And, you know, Dick actually, I've had so much respect for him just watching him throughout the years, the way that he's led and the way he connects with his guys. And then he actually – he and I got put in touch and he's got some family that lives out in Beverly Hills. And we first met, we had kind of talked over the phone. We met after we lost the Super Bowl. We met for breakfast in Beverly Hills. And he is, I mean, what a great mentor of mine he's been. I actually have kind of been playing phone tag with him recently. And I mean, he, he's just so thoughtful and considerate, whether it's sending notes that he feels like are relevant to what's going on with us. Sent me a great book on leadership that he read that he really liked. And um, you know, I just got a tremendous amount of respect for him. I know you've talked to a lot of the other coaches and managers and Dave Roberts and Doc Rivers here in L.A. Yeah. Is there somebody in sports or out of sports that you haven't talked to who you'd love to talk to about leadership and, and, and just 
guiding men? Yeah, uh, golly. I mean, I, that what I think has been so unique, Dan, is the platform that this provides you know, to really be able to connect. I, I've, I've kind of played phone tag here and there with, with Steve Kerr. Uh, I've gotten connected with Brad Stevens as well, a little bit over this sure, uh, break. Coach, but, yeah. but I mean, when you look at Dave Robertson and Doc Rivers, those two guys, they've been Pretty awesome, awesome resources. You know, and, and even like something as small as, I've gotten connected with Mikel Artita, who's the manager for Arsenal, because that's the Cronkies own that. Josh Cronkie put us in touch. I'll tell you who's a guy that I've been really impressed with. I just watched their um, their All or Nothing that was filmed a couple years ago is Pep Guardiola. He's the Man City manager. He's had an unbelievable amount of success. And so you watch this eight-part deal, and I was really interested in it because at the time, the number one assistant on that staff was Mikel, who I've gotten to be friends with since he's now managing Arsenal. And watching his command... The way he's handled stuff, uh, he's a guy I'd love to meet and pick his brain. So you're pulling from soccer now, too. I love it. Hey, the more you can learn, right? I love it. All right, last. Football. last Football. That's football. That too. is football. That's, football on the pitch. That's the real football. <laughs> Listen to you. A uh, couple of quick hitters. Two-minute drill. Last thing that you Googled. Last thing that I Googled? Yeah. Uh, you can call out your phone if you have it. Sean McVay? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, by the way, anybody who says that they've never such a lie. Go- never Googled themselves that. is so full of shit. Yes. No. Uh, last thing that I Googled was probably uh, Gavin Newsom's press conference on Monday about the parameters around some of the new shutdowns. But, Smart. But I'm embarrassed to admit my name probably wasn't far off. <laughs> <laughs> I got one for you now. Um, games on the line, quarterback. You want throwing the football who's not Jared Goff and who's not Kirk Cousins because I know that would be yeah. your number, number two since you coached him. Mahomes. Easy. Easy. Okay. He, I, so I'll tell you what. I watched uh, – you know, I knew he was really good when he started playing just based on the film when we played them two years ago in that Monday night great game. But then I did some stuff for the pregame for the Super Bowl for ESPN – and so I really I dove in, and we didn't cross over with the Chiefs too frequently this year, so I didn't see a lot of their film. And so I really studied him pretty hard. And um, this guy is so unique. I mean, the, the athleticism, but he's playing the position too. Like even just watching the AFC Championship where Tennessee did a great job of trying to play vision zone, keeping things in front of him, playing deep to short. And he was patient enough to take completions, make the right decisions. And then just when they play those man coverages and he breaks contain, he finds Sammy down the field for a big play. He's so unique. He's got such a great way about himself. I met him actually at catch um, through Cliff Kingsbury. Everything goes which, back to catch. But I got Cliff Kingsbury pretty good on a joke. I don't know if you ever heard about I, how I got him when his first year. I do need – got to tell me that story. Well, I'll, I've heard I'll tell that, you yeah. that story. But, but I met Mahomes at that dinner, and I just was so impressed with just the way he handled himself. And then you just watch him. You can't help but root for him. He's such a likable guy. Such a likable. And he's got such a great humility for a legitimate superstar. I mean, this guy, you know, everybody's like, he gets the contract. I said, hey, that guy's worth it. This, Every he, penny. He is, he's special. He's fun to watch. I mean, because, shoot, you're still coaching, but I'm a fan of the game. You know, what he's done has been impressive, Dan. But – I give you a quick, quick version of the catch story. So Cliff Kingsbury and I have gotten to be friends through mutual people. He's the Arizona head coach and he makes sure through the right avenues that if he's going to have dinner with Mahomes, that it's not in violation of anything, uh, you know, just with the league. Right. 
And so I put my friend, so the mutual friend that we had was at this dinner with us. Right. I had, uh, I put his name in my phone as Roger Goodell. Okay. <laughs> and I had him text me a message. Hey man, you know better than this. What are you doing at dinner with Kingsbury and Mahomes? You are in pure violation of all these tampering rules and stuff like that. You guys are both in big trouble. And so I show the text to Kingsbury and, you know, and he had actually done a good job of actually making sure this wasn't in violation, but I show it to him. And, and he's a rookie head coach. He hadn't even coached head, a game yet. hadn't coached a game yet. And if you could have seen the, just the, I mean, he was pale. It looked like he got sick immediately. He's like, I said, you better call Steve Kime right away and let him know. I said, we're both probably going to lose draft picks. And then I, I couldn't let it go on too long. How give me how like like ninety seconds? It was probably minutes. thirty second. It was probably a minute, but it felt like two hours to him. He was like, "That was effed up, man." I mean, he's like, "I'm gonna get you back for that." But I got, I mean, we were crying. If you could have seen his face too, because he's like, you know, and, and I was like, "Are you sure this is good?" And then I'm like, "Dude, this is not good. Look who I just got a text from." He's like, "Oh my god," <laughs> he was appalled. Has he? Has that he was when Catch has since then. They they they're they're a great restaurant. They've taken great care of us since. The the hostesses are a lot nicer to me now than they were oh, when I was my first experience. He hasn't gotten you back yet, then. He has not gotten me back yet. He did get me back. He drafted Kyler Murray number one and then got Hopkins this off season. That's getting <laughs> me back enough. <laughs> Sean, thanks, brother. I really appreciate the time. Yeah. Uh, great to see you. It's good I'm, to see you too. I'm, I'm glad that everything's going well and. Hopefully we can uh, we can this this will drop on Monday, so hopefully we know a little more than we do now, and you guys can start uh, relatively on time. Yeah, hopefully so, and I hope we'll have a little bit more information. Hopefully we're gonna have football, you know, because because we all need it, and we want to make sure we do it the right way. But but I'm excited to get back going whenever that time comes. Absolutely, thanks, bro. All right.